0: JYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is the rundown, Philadelphia's local news podcast for Thursday, November fourth, two thousand twenty-one. I'm Jay Scott Smith, along with Sabrina Boyd Circa and Brian Seltzer. And for more than one hundred fifty years, the Philadelphia Energy Solutions refinery was largely an eyesore. Worse than that, it was also a serious safety and environmental concern. Now, all those issues came to a head two and a half years ago when a massive explosion rocked the area, literally. Now, since then, the massive site has been reimagined,
1: and we're seeing the very early stages of that reimagination. Jay, from growing up in the area, I would pass this site all the time, driving on 26th Street to turn Penrose to get the sports complex for Phillies games, Sixers games, all that stuff. It really was unsightly. And seriously, that situation two years ago in the summer of 2019 was so, so scary. It is great that once again, Philadelphia has a project in the works that sounds like, Sabrina, it's going to have some tangible benefits to the city.
2: Yeah, they're building a whole new neighborhood there, which is really exciting. It's going to be called the Bellwether District. They're going to be trying to bring in a lot of jobs, a lot of e-commerce companies that could really turn the economy around. I just hope that there's also a way to make up for the environmental impact that we've unfortunately seen over the years.
0: It'll be more than a decade before we even see the finished product. But, I mean, you got to start somewhere, right? We'll take a look at one of Philadelphia's latest redevelopment projects coming up on this edition of The Rundown. But first... Let's get to this day's headlines. Earlier this week, the CDC gave the thumbs up to Pfizer's COVID vaccine for kids ages 5 to 11. And those vaccine centers are already starting to open up with a pair of clinics opening up today where kids can actually get a COVID vaccine.
2: That's right. So the Center for Health Equity, which is a new location in North Philadelphia, we'll talk about that in a minute, but they are open. They are actually not accepting new registrations right now, but hopefully they will reopen some signups for the future soon. There's also another clinic in Germantown at the Waterview Recreation Center. They have appointments and they take walk-ins, so that is a good place to go. Of course, hospitals like CHOP, St. Christopher's, they're all preparing. Mainline Health is having some vaccination events. You can go to pharmacies. CVS and Walgreens are already taking appointments. You can get a full list of all of those at vaccines.gov. But I'm just really glad to see how quickly this rollout is happening. They said it was going to be ready within the week, and it is. It is happening now.
1: Quickly and organized, guys. I think understandably back in the winter, in January, February, March, when adults first started to get vaccines available to them. It was a scramble. It literally was, unfortunately, like do whatever you could to get yourself an appointment booked and get a shot in your arm. Whereas this time around, it seems like the medical community had an understanding that at some point in time, kids would be vaccinated and there would be approval for that. And they've been able to plan, get organized, even make it fun in some instances to try and take the edge off some of these kids. I think it's been great. Awesome that the kids are getting shots, but even more so than that, this seems like organized, prepared execution of getting shots in kids' arms.
0: Now, Dr. Susan Kaufman, who is with the Children's Hospital, spoke with KYW News Radio's Tim Jimenez about the extra protection that the vaccine will give for kids.
2: They had to rely on all of our mitigation strategies, and we want to be able to do more, um, and we want to be able to ultimately have them return to a more normal life.
0: I mean, I know there's been this narrative that a lot of people are resistant to the vaccine, but there are hundreds of thousands of parents who were just dying for this chance to get their kids vaccinated against this virus and not risking possibly having these kids bringing it into their homes.
2: Yeah. And as Dr. Kaufman said, you know, it's all, I hate the idea of the new normal or getting back to normal because it's never really going to be the same as before. But that's kind of the goal that we're working towards. And for kids, you know. I've heard a million times kids who are in second grade have never had a normal school year, and maybe this will get them one step closer to experiencing childhood as it's meant to be.
1: Unfortunately, it can't just always be good news because as great of a breakthrough and development as this is that kids are now going to get shots, I think one of the next shoes to drop is how are schools, whether it's public or private schools, going to handle reconciling all this will there be mandates for admission for attendance in schools like i'm terrified to think about what type of uh, chaos uh, and controversy that could cause but i i wonder when that's going to come we just
0: had the ruling from the biden administration this morning about when we get to uh, january where a lot of businesses are going to have to do that you know down the line we are going to see that from schools as well and when we talk about these centers these clinics to help kids get vaccinated The Black Doctors Consortium, which had done all sorts of work in helping adults get vaccinated over these last few months, just opened up their own primary care center.
2: Right, so they are one of those clinics where kids can get vaccinated, as I just mentioned. It's called the the Dr. Ayla Stanford Center for Health Equity in North Philadelphia, um, named after their founder, Dr. Ayla Stanford. Here's a piece of Justin Udo's reporting on this story. It feels wonderful to see it come to fruition.
0: That's Dr. Ayla Stanford describing the Black Doctors Consortium's journey over the last year and a half that went from COVID testing to vaccinations and now a new healthcare center. We're
2: going to see newborns through seniors. If someone needs blood work done, we'll be able to offer that. It has been all about listening to the people. They let us know that this is what they needed. It's really all about access to care, right? Uh, providing access in neighborhoods where it's hard. People might not have insurance. They're willing to work with people who don't have insurance to make sure they get the health care they need. We're breaking down that, that stigma and that fear that understandably a lot of Black people have around going to the doctors and extending it beyond COVID. Now they can take care of just about anything.
0: It is really helpful. And I know that I know the center accepts all different forms of insurance. It's doing everything it can to help people out because that's one of, especially in the black community, it's one of the biggest hangups is not just getting to the doctor, but being able to pay for it. I mean, even if you're, even if you're mindful about your health, you can't afford it. So for it to be available to people, especially in a spot like North Philadelphia, this works wonders for people's health and having somebody
1: trusted in the community do this helps out even more. One of the, To me, the inspiring things about the last year and a half, almost two years of this pandemic being in our lives is you hear stories like this, whether it's in our own backyard, awesome in Philadelphia, or around the country, around the globe of people recognizing a deficiency in the quote unquote system or in our everyday lives, thinking of a way to do something about it and actually getting it done. I mean, Isla Stanford's journey, seeing her recognized on Good Morning America, it's just Really inspiring, and I think undoubtedly she has been a driving force for why Philadelphia in terms of its black and minority populations has done so much better than other large U.S. cities in getting underrepresented populations vaccinated and safe during this time.
0: Speaking of Dr. Stanford, one of the things that she did along with opening up the center is she also acknowledged that she had pulled her name from consideration to become the city's new health commissioner. Well, this morning we found out who the city's new health commissioner will be. It's the woman who's been serving as the acting health commissioner, Dr. Cheryl Bedigal. She took over the position after the former health commissioner, Dr. Thomas Farley, stepped down a little bit earlier this year due to his handling of the remains from the 1985 move bombing. But Dr. Bedigal has now taken over that position on a full-time basis. She's been the main voice of the city's COVID response since Dr. Farley stepped down. So now it seems like a pretty seamless transition to go right into her.
1: Yeah, Jay, Sabrina and I were talking about this before we taped. Like, why is this a story? How often would you hear about a health commissioner making news and and all that? And I think, unfortunately, part of the reason it's a story is because of how things ended with Thomas Farley and him not notifying the families, of the MOVE victims, talking about the bombing in 1985. So that was bad, as was his involvement. Listen, he was in that position when the whole Philly fighting COVID uh, gaffe blew up. So... Listen, it sounds like Dr. Bedigol has been in a trusted spot with Mayor Kenny. He said in a statement throughout her entire career, Dr. Bedigal has demonstrated a deep commitment to prioritizing equity access and prevention in public health. And yeah, Jay, like you said, she's been in the position for going on around almost half a year now, and it should be a transition that you would think would be relatively smooth. And one other note, since we joined you yesterday and we talked about the
0: election and things that had gone on on Tuesday night, we pretty much have a winner of the New Jersey governor's race. It was projected just a little bit before or a little bit after 6.30 p.m. last night that Governor Phil Murphy has won re-election in New Jersey, marking the first time since Brendan Byrne in 1977 that a Democrat has won re-election in the Garden State, which is kind of a surprising statement when people look at how Democratic New Jersey has been for the better part of the last 40, almost 45 years, that no Democrat had gotten back-to-back terms until – it looks like Phil Murphy.
2: This is such a strange situation because I find myself thinking it's historic because Democratic governors haven't been reelected, but it was also expected, but it was also a really close call. I feel like we're just all over the map here.
0: Yeah, this because this, this thing got called like shortly, like I said, shortly before 6.30 p.m. or so. The Associated Press was the first one to call it, and when we left you yesterday from this podcast, Murphy had only just taken the lead maybe a couple of hours earlier and was maybe seven to 10,000 ahead. That number has since increased past 30,000, and they're still counting votes. So this looks like it's done. Here's some of what the governor had to say late last night once word got out that he had been projected to win re-election. You know, we just had the most New Jersey experience. I was on my way someplace, and it took us longer to get there than we planned. As a matter of fact, some might say it took 44 years to get here. So tonight, I renew my promise to you, whether you voted for me or not, to work every single day of the next four years to keep moving us forward. Forward with renewed optimism to ensure greater opportunities for all 9.3 million who call the Garden State their home. And so importantly, forward with a deeper sense of fairness and a commitment to equity forward by rejecting the divisiveness and chaos that permeate too much of our politics in short forward living up to our jersey values he certainly knows how to cut a promo that was governor murphy from last night triumphant because the night before he he had been pretty measured in what he said he he felt they were going to come back and celebrate. It just turned out that just about 24 hours later is when he was able to do it. Now, to be fair, there's Jack Chidarelli's campaign is insisting that the race has been called prematurely and that there are more votes to be counted. And sure, there are. But it is kind of difficult to fathom that somehow 31,000 votes are suddenly going to come back and swing in that direction. The AP made the call and every other news organization has made the same thing. So it looks like Governor Murphy is going to get his second term starting in January.
2: Yeah, to be clear, there are still some votes to be counted, at least as we're recording this. Who knows when they'll be fully counted? But they're mostly in areas that are kind of almost guaranteed to vote Democratic. So that is why the AP has made this call. Um, But also, the state Senate president in New Jersey, Democrat Steve Sweeney, just lost re-election to Republican Edward Durr. So, as we said yesterday, we are seeing that swing of Republicans getting a little more control, even in states like New Jersey, that's usually so strongly blue. So I think that's still something important to think about as 2022 starts to roll around.
0: Now, the Edward Durr thing is very interesting because Durr isn't really a politician. He was a guy running against Sweeney. He's a truck driver for a, for a furniture company. He spent $153.12 from what I understand on his campaign, and that was mostly for, quote-unquote, coffee and donuts. He had no idea he was actually winning until a TV reporter pulled up at his house and told him he was winning. Now, Sweeney had also, a couple of years earlier, when he ran for re-election in 17, he had to face a campaign that, that tried to force him out. The Education Association had a whole campaign against him to try to get him out of office. Go figure that four years later, he loses to Edward Durr, a man who may have just run for the sake of running, it sounds like, if you're only going to spend less than $200 spending the amount of money some of us spend on groceries in a political campaign, and he wins. If nothing else, that is something that really tells you a lot about the state of play at times in certain parts of New Jersey
1: and how there is a bit of a change. I think it also speaks to a national trend. It's which party is most motivated to get the vote out. So we're talking about turnout. And also, just how important, it's going to sound cliched, every single vote is, whether it was 2020 or 2021. Look at some of these margins, how razor thin they are. And if you're happy, if you're unhappy, don't sit there. Just go out, exercise your right, because we're seeing just how close these margins are. And you can find out more about
0: all of our headlines on our website, KYWnewsradio.com. You're listening to The Rundown. Welcome back to The Rundown. I'm Jay Scott Smith, and we have a special visitor today, our morning news anchor here on KYW news Radio, Ian Bush. I've stayed awake for you, Jay. Hello. I, and sir, <laughs> I certainly appreciate that. Ian Bush, it's certainly good to have you. It's a lot of caffeine, Jay. A lot of caffeine. Good to be here. Ian, you recently covered a story on a new neighborhood that's being developed on the land where the Philadelphia Energy Solutions Refinery used to be. What is in the works out there?
3: Yeah, they're calling it the bellwether district. It's a long term, a, a very long term plan to reimagine that site in South Philly where the PES uh, refinery used to be no longer as a place for refining fossil fuels, but instead looking forward to uh, what they hope the next big needs will be logistics and, and life sciences among them.
0: Where did the name Bellwether come from? Normally, when I hear that word; it's usually referring to like the state of Ohio in a presidential election. Yeah, so where's, where's that whole thing? About?
3: Exactly, and it's it's good marketing. I I think uh, you may have heard their commercials on KYW other radio stations too. So, Hilco Redevelopment Partners is the company behind this, and they're also behind the marketing of Bellwether, the redevelopment too. And they say the name fits because Bellwether, as you said, Jay, means to be a leading indicator, a predictor of the future. And so that's what they hope this site
0: will be. So give us a little bit more of like the scope on this site for people unfamiliar with it. Where exactly is it located and just how big is it when they're really creating a neighborhood out of this?
3: Yeah. So non-city types will know it best uh, from driving over the Platte Bridge. It's what you can see off to the one side. We're talking 1,300 acres, generally bounded by 26th and Penrose, part of Pashyunk, and the Schuylkill River. So South Philly, Southwest. It's a little less, they say, than 2% of Philadelphia's footprint. So it's a really sizable tract we're talking about here.
0: And are they developing like new streets for this? This is this is really turning into a whole new thing.
3: Right, uh, yeah, so four new streets, they say so far, who knows what it'll look like 15 years from now, but we already know the name for two of those streets because they're in honor of black Philadelphians. Uh, the pioneering author Francis Harper is one, and the abolitionist and businessman James Fortin, two streets will be named for them.
0: What type of redevelopment can people expect with this?
3: Yeah, we're not going to see homes or anything like that. We're talking warehouses probably. Maybe when I looked at the the mock-ups of what they have planned, it looks to me like a mixture of, say, Navy Yard and warehouses. So over the next 15 years or so, and because of that time frame, uh, Hillco really isn't ready to specify just what bellwether is going to look like. But what was nice to see in these mock-ups was so much green a lot of grass, a lot of trees in the mix of all these buildings, and even on top of some of these buildings, like a green roof. So they I mentioned they want to attract life science, e-commerce businesses. Uh, Hilco has a similar place in Chicago where Target is the main tenant. So logistics like that. You're not going to go into that Target and buy stuff, but trucks will
0: go from that Target and, and deliver stuff to you. There's an obvious elephant in the room about this place. And all we gotta do is go back a little under two and a half years ago to June 2019 when a massive explosion happened. It was a blast that was so big, it shook homes in Philadelphia as well as across the Delaware River in New Jersey. That was just a wild day, kind of a scary scene there. I remember working that day, I was working that evening, Here's what some of our breaking news coverage sounded like the day of that incredible explosion.
2: People all over the area heard it and felt the explosions at the refinery in southwest Philadelphia. They kicked off around 4 o'clock this morning.
0: This was a three-alarmer. 120 firefighters rushed to the scene. In the vat was butane. Butane. Like you fill your lighter with it was butane. I could see the the smoke and I know once there's smoke, hey, that's chemical, you're going to be breathing it. You know, so that's where I started to get worried and there, so I was just hoping to get past it quick enough where I'm not gonna be when this place was still was in operation, the PS site had long been a source of concern for Philadelphians. In the immediate aftermath of the fire and the explosion, residents went to City Hall to voice their concerns. Neighbors of the PES Refinery joined environmentalists at City Hall on Friday afternoon, demanding action after the explosion.
2: My two daughters
1: came down with two different breast cancers eight months apart. A mother shouldn't have to go through that with two daughters with cancer.
0: Then in January of last year, there were even more protests. This is pre-pandemic. January of last year, more protests at the site before it was eventually sold. And just how much of a problem was this site? It's bad.
3: You can't really say anything better than that. We're talking a cleanup that, from this point, is expected to last at least another four years. Tens of thousands of tons of asbestos, hundreds of thousands of barrels of hydrocarbons. Uh, you're, you're thinking over a century of oil operations and oil refinery All the pollution left by the refining process, not to mention that disastrous fire and explosion. Uh, I spoke with Hillco Redevelopment Partners Jasmine Sessoms about how the decommissioning, the cleanup, all the remediation work is progressing.
2: It's going good. Um, I would say that we are cleaning it up in a responsible and transparent way. We work hand in hand with a company called Evergreen, and we have an environmental specialist On staff that consistently watches. We have community meetings constantly. We just had one on October 12th. Before that, September 1st, we have another one coming up in December. So we are letting the community and our stakeholders know exactly what's going on each step in each phase.
3: And it's worth noting Jasmine is from the South Philly area, right around you know where this disaster happened. So it, it seems like she you know really cares. She has a, a horse in this race. And neighbors of the site have a lot of questions, a lot of concerns about safety, as you would imagine. And there's a website the company has put up. It's hrpphilly.com, and it serves as a, a hub for information from the company about the site.
0: And Hilco, we've mentioned, bought the site. They're based in Chicago, bought it. Last June, 2020, has their vision eased any of the concerns about the future of its site and the environmental footprint as well? Hilco has a history
3: of this kind of redevelopment. They've done it in Baltimore in 2012. Uh, there was a, a Bethlehem Steel site in Baltimore that they had to redevelop, and that was 3,300 acres, so even larger than than this site in South Philadelphia. And they've done a similar thing there, a logistics complex. They have put 8,500 people to work. And this was, a, this was a disused site, a site that needed a lot of safety remediation done. I suppose if, if anyone is to do this, uh, they're, they're a company that could. Hilco has also been involved in nuclear plant remediation as well.
0: Overall, the one last thing that everyone wants to talk about are jobs in terms of the economic impact. What about Bellwether's possible economic impact in South and Southwest Philadelphia?
3: Sounds great. 19,000 permanent jobs is their estimate. But now remember, we're talking over the next 15 years. So this is a really long-term project. Uh, One thing that I appreciate that Hillco is doing, they're starting them young. They're getting some interns in. Uh, from high school and colleges, and getting them interested in the remediation process, the cleanup, but also looking toward the future of these life sciences, of these logistics. And, you know, who knows, maybe some of those kids who are interns now could be
0: running a site like that 15 years from now. Let's do a little forecasting 15 years from now. That's, wow, 2036. It's kind of crazy to think about. (laughs) 2036, (laughs) 15 years from now, when we look at this project, What do you think bellwether will turn out to be?
3: You know, this site is too big just to let languish, and I'm glad they've got a grand vision for it. Should it have been an affordable housing area? Should it have been another nice big park in Philadelphia? I can't answer that question. I I think neighbors would have their own opinions about it. But if you're going to do something in terms of the economy, in terms of job creation, This looks like a pretty smart idea. E-commerce is the future. It is now. Oh, yeah. It's now. So positioning Philadelphia as a potential leader in that field is a good thing. And again, I I love how these mock-up pictures look. All the green between the buildings, among the buildings, on top of the buildings. And they really use the Schuylkill Riverfront nicely. Again, these are just mock-ups. This has to be put into practice. But despite all that industry, I like how the ecology is, is, is showing through and that, that they thought of that. But you want it to benefit us. You want it to benefit the city. You want it to benefit us economically and in terms of job creation and opportunities and not to be an eyesore of a bunch of warehouses because that part of South Philadelphia has been an eyesore for a long time because of this refinery. Oh yeah. But to make it something out of nothing, which is what it is now, would be a great thing to see.
0: Absolutely would. And go get some sleep, man. I sounds know. good. You, you you join us every day, every morning on Philadelphia's morning news here on KWW News Radio. Make sure you listen to that, of course. You can hear it on the Odyssey app every day starting at it's five AM, right? Because I'm not a... up that time of day. So you gotta remind yeah. me.
3: It's like yeah. you're you're my going to bed voice. So <laughs> most people are going to going home on, on the Schuylkill Expressway or something. But no, I'm I'm getting in bed when Jay's Jay's wrapping up his day.
0: <laughs> Ian Bush, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to have yeah. you. Thanks,
3: Jay. Appreciate it.
0: And the Rundown is a production of KYW News Radio Original Podcast. The show is produced by Sabrina Boyd Circa and Brian Seltzer. The director of podcasting for KYW News Radio is Tom Rickard. I'm Jay Scott Smith. You can follow me at J. Scott Smith, J A Y S C O. Two T's, S M I T H. It's real J Scott Smith on Facebook and Instagram. You can hear me every afternoon on KYW News Radio starting at 3 p.m. for Philadelphia's afternoon news. Be sure to follow The Rundown on Twitter at The Rundown PHL. Again, The Rundown PHL. Of course, you can find it right here on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We want to thank you so much for checking out this Thursday edition of The Rundown.